1: It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps.
0: Monster House presents...
1: Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as... The Daily Meditation Podcast, I Know What Scares You, and... When Things Go Wrong... If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite
0: unlike anything we've ever
1: seen before. A giant hairy creature,
0: part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24 mile long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster.
1: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
1: Way back in episode 12, you can check the show notes for a link, we talked to author Greg Long, whose book, The Making of Bigfoot, lays out perhaps the best case for why the figure at the center of the Patterson-Gimlin film is probably not a cryptid. I'm not talking about him sharing the claim that Bob Hieronymus is the guy in the suit. And I'm not talking about the claim that costumer Philip Morris made the suit. Those are all very questionable claims and there's no smoking gun evidence that either is true, even if you find them plausible. But what Long does make clear and well evidenced is a case that Patterson was the kind of person with both the means and the motive to fraudulently create a Bigfoot film. It's far easier for me to believe that this is a hoax than to believe that Patterson and Gimlin set out to look for this elusive creature and on the very first effort, they captured the only really good footage of the beast ever taken. But there's a lot more to this story and I'm writing that all up and I'm doing research on it and I decided to share some of what I've done with Karen and with you, although you'll have to wait for the two or three fully polished projects that I hope to come out of this work. But for now... I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit so you can see some of the kind of research that I enjoy digging into when we're not doing the show. Now, this all sprung from discovering that the BBC made a documentary called Bigfoot, America's Abominable Snowman, and then finding out that Roger Patterson had paired that British documentary up with his Bigfoot footage, and then he took it on tour in the Pacific Northwest, When I became aware of this, I realized that nobody seemed to have done any work documenting when and where he showed the movie. So I'm not completely finished with this research, but I've found a lot of data about it. And now I can say with some confidence that there were more than 30 advertised showings of that movie in 1969. Now, we can't know how many actually took place from the ads, but I did find one extraordinarily snarky review of sorts. It, it kind of goes to show you that before we all had social media platforms to kvetch about things, some of that snark did actually make it into the newspapers. Check this out. From the Sanders County Ledger in Thompson Falls, Montana, 13th March, 1969. Headline, Columbia Falls was fortunate. The Hungry Horse News expressed editorial disappointment last week because after much advertising, the motion picture Bigfoot, North America's Abominable Snowman was not shown as scheduled in Columbia Falls. Columbia Falls residents should consider themselves lucky that they did not waste their money on that movie. Numerous complaints were voiced by Thompson Falls residents who attended the showing in the multipurpose room here. Local residents generally considered it a waste of their time and money. It should be pointed out that Mr. and Mrs. Harold Jensen were offered the first opportunity to book Bigfoot into their Rex Theater, but they refused because they felt it did not meet the high standards of entertainment which they seek for patrons of their Palace of Enlightenment and Amusement. The Jensens had shown the movie in their Strand Theater in Superior earlier, and on the basis of that refused to book it in the Rex. Once was enough. A lesson can be learned from that. If a movie is legitimate and worthwhile viewing, more than likely it will be booked into an established theater, such as The Rex. Only those shows that seek to fraud or do not offer adequate entertainment will find it necessary to show elsewhere. Thanks to Harold and Helen Jensen for rejecting Bigfoot and not enticing more people to see it by booking it into the Rex. We're glad, too, that the Ledger had no part in advertising this affair. While some Columbia Falls residents may have been disappointed at first at the movie's failure to show there in the long run, they should be glad. Ouch. I seriously doubt I would have agreed with that review at the time. I may not believe Bigfoot is real, but I still love this topic. And if the iconography that's derived from the Patterson Gimlin film is any indication, so does most of America. And for our patrons, I confess that this particular project has been what stymied my bonus series, Big Footage. So I do plan to get back to doing those Big Footage episodes again when this is finalized. I've still been watching bigfoot shows and making notes but it's time to dust that off and get my reviews out because i really enjoyed that well enough of that here's my conversation with karen about my project and my findings so far i hope you enjoy it monster talk
0: welcome to monster talk me (laughs) welcome to the show blake (laughs) good to have you back
1: yeah, it's good to be back. So, yeah, I, this is a fun week. Uh, I've been a lot of uh, research I've been working on is kind of coming together now, finally. And I thought I would share oh, a little I love bit that with that you.
0: Feeling? Yeah. Well, I know you've been working on something, doing something related to the Patterson Gimlin film. So, can you tell us a little bit about this new project? It's not not entirely new. It's
1: not new. <laughs> what, it, it actually started, I think, a little bit after I did a, a thing with uh, Adventures in Poor Taste. We, I did a video thing where I talk to Steve Bissett uh, about this book that he put out. Now, Steve Bissett, you might know as a comic book artist. He did uh, a really famous run on Swamp Thing, for example. But he's also really into cryptids and monsters. And he did this book called Cryptid Cinema, which is i have to say out of all my monster books it is one of my favorite books not just because of the content mm. which is good but because Light up your alley. It, it's the way it's laid out it's laid out like a 1970s monster magazine so it's oh, just cool. full of cool monstery stuff and it, it's very much like the kind of stuff that I would sneak off to the magazine stand and look at when my parents took us to the drugstore or whatever you know I wasn't I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't have to <laughs> sneak as much now that I, I'm old but uh, yeah yeah but it is really cool anyway, Anyway, I talked to him, and we were discussing the fact that um, the Patterson-Gillen film is pretty famous. Pretty famous. That gap between the time that it was shot and the time that it first starts showing up in movies and documentaries. There's like mm. what happened in between, and uh, I've so been investigating that. So what are we talking that.
0: about there? So it, this it was recorded in 1967. That's right. And then kind of what came into the public awareness about
1: in the 70s? Mid-70s? Yeah, about mid-75 is when most people would really start to know it. Uh, and that's because it showed up in a documentary called The Mysterious Monsters. And right. so uh, that's quite got a
0: lost weekend.
1: Yeah. The... Yeah, well, yeah. Well, so we know that Patterson was promoting it. I mean, they, to really understand this film, you have to read a lot of resources. One, I think, really mm-hmm. important one. It goes back to, oh, my gosh, like in our first year of Monster Talk, uh, The Making of Bigfoot, The Inside mm-hmm. Story by Greg Long. Fascinating mm-hmm. book. This is this book is famous because it pulled together a ton of stuff, but most people only know it because this is where they first heard about the idea that Bob Hieronymus might have been the guy in the suit and mm-hmm. that um, – that the suit was bought off the rack, uh, you right. know, kind of, f- f- and it's <laughs> and like,
0: Nordstrom. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's just, is. it's just, it's, it's questionable. Right. So, uh, but, but the book also contains tons of interviews and data, and it, it tells an interesting story about how Roger Patterson worked with Ivan T. Sanderson and John Napier to get a BBC documentary put together. And mm-hmm. that ended up being called, uh, Bigfoot, America's Abominable Snowman. Now, mm. that documentary was considered lost, I think, until like 2012. A copy showed up. Wow. And mm. uh, fairly recently, there was a, uh, a a YouTube channel that was sharing it on on its site. And I really uh, – Sasquatch Chronicles was the channel. But they've pulled okay. the video as a, and made it private. So I, I don't know if there's a way to see it now in its entirety. But it's um, –
0: Wayback Machine. Yeah,
1: maybe. <laughs> maybe I'll have to look into it. I'm gonna see if I could track down yeah. another copy of it. I foolishly apparently did I thought I made a copy, but apparently I did not. And oh. uh, so that's really bothering me. But Well,
0: how many copies of it were there? That's we a good know?
1: question. So we know that the the BBC documentary aired at least once in Britain. Um and we know that it hey. aired once in Australia. But, but the because I uh, guess, uh, I don't know why, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, but somehow Roger Patterson got what appears to have been multiple copies. I'm still kind of doing the research to figure out how many copies he had, mm. but let's just say probably three at least three copies of it existed, I think. Um, but this well, became. It makes
0: a, you wonder if there are more copies out there that we're just not aware of at this point.
1: Yeah, and that's plausible. I, I believe um, Lauren Coleman has a copy in his museum, and uh, and then again, this uh,
0: course he does. <laughs> big
1: Sasquatch Chronicles has a copy, so and I, and I don't know. I mean, the the BBC technically probably owns the copyright, but I hmm. can't imagine that they're hunting down trying to stop people from. Sharing it at the same time, not making it available. Although that is the way people do nowadays. I mean, I, you know, but it is it is a fairly important documentary uh, historically yeah. because of that that role that it played here, which we'll get into in just a sec. Well, like I said, it showed on the British TV and it showed in Australian TV, but I don't believe it was ever aired in the United States. Not here, right. except that what Roger Patterson. Let's back up a minute and say, okay, as skeptics. I personally don't believe that Roger Patterson went out into the woods with Bob Gimlin and randomly came across a Bigfoot and shot footage Mm. of it. I don't believe that happened Mm. for a lot of reasons. And it's not just it's not because I just (laughs) doubt that that's a Bigfoot in the in the image, but it's because what was going on in Roger Patterson's life at the time? What was he trying to accomplish? He he Mm. had been fascinated (laughs) with Bigfoot for almost 10 years. I think he got into it at like 59 and uh, he wanted to make a Bigfoot movie. He really did. Mm-hmm. And so I think the best interpretation of what the Patterson-Gimlin film is, is he went, he got a suit together, he went out in the woods, he shot this footage that he basically wanted to use as what they would call a sizzle reel to help get funding to make an actual movie. And he had a movie ah. in mind, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he wanted the movie to be about Bigfoot trackers going into the woods, looking for Bigfoot, mm-hmm. and along the way... Telling famous Bigfoot stories like uh, the Ape Canyon story. And uh, great,
0: great premise.
1: It is, in fact. Maybe
0: he just got really lucky.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. So he's the one guy who wanted to go see Bigfoot got his camera together and the first time out takes the best footage ever. That's pretty amazing. Uh, but he yeah. you know, so I'm the, that the cl- iconic footage, that iconic footage. And it's really I mean, there's such a story to tell here more than we can fit into this episode. This is what I would call research in progress. Uh, sure, yeah. But, but I, like I, I did make a big breakthrough a few weeks ago. That's why I'm excited about this. It, yeah,
0: which, I want to hear all about this.
1: So first of all, just so keep in mind Patterson, uh, again, if he wanted to do this as a sizzle reel, he's taking it down mm-hmm. to Los Angeles and going around Hollywood and talking to people about Shopping trying to get it. funding. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. had actually – there are s- production stills from his work where he's got Bob Gimlin dressed out as a Native American tracker on horseback. I mean it's pretty obvious mm-hmm. they were trying to make a movie movie, not a, right. a nature fin- – like it, it, this was not mm-hmm. organically found Bigfoot footage. This was part of a bigger no. project, right? Yeah. And yeah. – long I think makes that very clear. I think if you look at the dates and everything, it makes it pretty clear this was not a random thing. Uh, you mm. know, there's lots of reasons. I think you can look back at hundreds of episodes of, of this show and figure out why we're skeptical of this. But but <laughs> yeah. But what's the interesting trail is there. In fact, what what happens though is in the process of trying to get this movie funded, he meets somebody Uh, I think a guy named Olsen from Sun Classic Pictures. Sun Classic is famous for doing things like uh, The Hunt for Noah's Ark, these sort of um, very Christian-oriented, G-rated, independent films. And their whole business is what they call four-walling, where they they make their movie, and then they rent theaters, and then they get to collect all the ticket sales. So they pay a flat fee for the rental, and then everything they make over that becomes their profit, right?
0: Right. Okay. So this is kind of like an early reality TV, in a sense, documentary style.
1: It's it's very uh, seat of your pants. I mean, if you think about people who were doing business this way, uh, you got Sun Classic doing a lot of uh, Christian-oriented and uh – that G rated footage, I believe uh, Mm -hmm. maybe even like the first Benji movies might have been indie and done this four walling way. But, um, really, yeah, Mm. it it was a lot of pornos were done this way because it was, Mm -hmm. you didn't have to deal with, uh, copyright and registration, dealing with distributors, you know, getting a Uh cut and everything. And I think the idea of four walling probably appealed to Patterson because it cut out all the middlemen. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. any money you make is the money you make. And I know he was working with his brother in law, Aldi Attlee, who had a lot more money than he did. Okay. And uh, might have been how he got the suit put together, funding wise. But Roger Patterson was a really smart guy. I mean, he wasn't highly educated, but he was a sharp individual. Street smart. He was Mm -hmm. street smart, he was wily. Uh, And he also, you know, according to Long, at least, and a lot of people Long talked to, he was kind of a crook. I mean, he didn't he was Mm -hmm. not above borrowing money and not paying you back or he got in trouble Uh, for little gochi. He he didn't pay the rental (laughs) fee on the camera that shot the footage. There's a lot of problems with Patterson's morality. But um, Mm. he did apparently love his family. And, you know, when he died, he saw to it that his wife got some of the rights for the Patterson Gimlin film. Um, so, she, you know, as far as I know, when it shows on TV, she still makes money, which is good. So
0: she's still alive?
1: She is, or at least was last time I checked. And uh, so's mm-hmm. is uh, Bob Gimlin. And I think he, at one point, th- you know, I, I, I can't recommend the making of Bigfoot enough. Again, I don't think all, some of it's anecdotal, but a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that's in there has a clear paper trail. And there's a Gosh. big chapter in there about what happened to the PGF after Patterson died and, like, who owns the rights. And it is mm-hmm. an Ugly series of legal battles to, mm. between Roger Patterson, Renee DeHinden, well not Patterson, but his wife, uh, DeHendon—and and, and several other characters uh, over who owns what, like the the, the rights mm. to the individual frames of the film are separate from Ugh. the TV right? It's crazy. So wow, that's uh,
0: complicated. It
1: is, but <laughs> but in '69 is where all these dates I've found are in 1969. Mm-hmm. Roger Patterson takes a copy or, or three copies or some number of copies of this BBC documentary mm-hmm. and his 16 millimeter footage of the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot creature mm-hmm. or person in a suit. And, yeah, and he, yeah. he starts four walling it all over the place. Right. So it. I have tracked it down to six states now. Uh, OK. In
0: 1969,
1: he was in Idaho, Montana, Washington. Oregon California and Utah that I found so far so right. interesting and the the angle I took on this was I you know in a lot of these places that they're they're doing these are in uh, like high school auditoriums or mm-hmm. um little independent theaters in various communities around the Pacific Northwest and there's not a big paper trail for that but I got to thinking well, maybe, you know, in order to do a four wall, you've got to do advertising because you need to pre-sell enough tickets to justify that you've got the rental cost for the the place you're taking.
0: Would this be something that he would have been doing or it would have been one of these companies that would have been helping? No marketing? companies.
1: This is them doing it independently. I, my understanding is after talking with Sun Classic, they realized they could do it themselves. And mm. so uh, I see they, I know at they least did. at least Patterson and DeGatley. So they did. They booked all over the place, and it's in all kind. Of, I've got the Orpheum Theater, uh, high school auditoriums, the Washoe Theater, the, the Roxy, the Rex, all these little independent wow. companies, and, and so it was
0: really kind of grassroots. Though very, I very it. much
1: so, and it's impossible to say how many of these actually took place.
0: Some people enjoy the waves or whatever, uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum
1: physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and WagOn Kat and Jethro, Box
0: of Oddities. That is really mysterious.
1: Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
0: The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from
1: Airwave Media. Because what we have is the advertisement. What we don't know is, did they really happen? Right. So because if they couldn't mm-hmm. sell enough tickets, they wouldn't have necessarily uh, done the show.
0: Well, wouldn't it have be wouldn't it be great to track down people who attended these?
1: Oh, golly. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think get long,
0: some info ha- on that. Well, I, I found
1: if... one review uh, mm-hmm. where where someone was talking about how that they had seen it and like the a theater owner in their town had uh, decided not to, to let them book. And somebody some I. I I, I, I want to say it's kind of a jerk article because the guy was like, they dodged a bullet by not b- booking this piece of crap. I'm like, well, di- golly, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: well, I'm wondering if Patterson made an appearance himself and yes. presented the movie because I, I've seen things like that, you know, where directors and producers turn up and they'll do a little introduction. Absolutely.
1: He definitely did. Yeah.
0: Any yeah. recordings of that, that would be gold.
1: Oh, yeah, it would be. Uh, I Okay. There's suggestion that there might have been one of these actually filmed, these presentations, but I haven't seen it. Wow. I haven't gotten any further. I would love that to be true. I just don't know if For it sure. is true. Right? Yeah. But it was, um, he, it, it, towards the end of 1969, they did at least one, possibly two showings at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, which is a big venue. And mm. uh, I don't know, you know, it's coming secondhand from um, one of the other people involved, but Patterson said it was an incredibly successful show. They were doing about a buck seventy-five to two dollars a ticket for adults, and then oh, fifty or seventy-five. That's like fifteen dollars today. For yeah, today. yeah. It'd be like a fifteen-dollar yeah. ticket. Yeah. And, nice
0: profit if if he did proceed with all of these. Uh, shows. Yeah,
1: especially for places like the high school auditoriums. I mean, can you imagine?
0: That'd be pretty large, yeah. Yeah, no,
1: no. To keep in mind, this is the same kind of thing that professional wrestling did, uh, you know, in, in the indie circuit days, where they oh. would do the same thing: pre-sell a bunch of tickets, book mm-hmm. it at a high school or uh, a a, um, a national guard, you know, type place, just wherever they could get a show together. And oh, it,
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yep, and that, that, that kept professional wrestling alive. It was very much like a, a Carney tours or a –
0: Yeah, like a blood sports thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it
1: well, just definitely involved the idea of, of you know, pre-sales, booking, you know, and if you don't mm. get enough pre-sales, you don't do the show, you know. It just, you just yeah, it's so simple. Um, mm. But I, I, I have found uh, 31 showings um, that I've been able to track, like, advertising for. So
0: amazing, amazing! Uh, how did you? I have to ask. How did you come across all of this information? What was the source
1: or sources? It's all over these newspapers. So the the trick is, you can't trust that uh, just like looking for Bigfoot will get you anything. Bigfoot, mm-hmm. Sasquatch, those things weren't very helpful. What actually was the trigger that got me into finding it was finding the name of Patterson's sort of company name that he was using was, um, for doing what the was research. That? Um, Northwest Research, I believe. I'll have to. You know what? I'll have to mm. do an insert here because I've forgotten the name of it. It was the Northwest Research Association. That was one of the keys to to breaking through. Um, okay,
0: so not e- not even his name, and, nope. and not Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Wow,
1: none of those was really helping me. But when I got the name of the little movie company he was using to to advertise under. Was um, that was the key. That to, was the key to breaking through the search engine. And and there's wow. probably many more ads out there. I don't know how many shows they did, but for them to – they did – the ones I found were uh, February and March, and then there's a gap, and then it's uh, July and November. Um,
0: well, didn't you – I think you said to me at some point uh, that there were multiple showings across a particular town or state yeah, in one day. Montana, so yeah, across Montana, yeah. I, I, he couldn't have been attending all of those no. unless he was, I don't bi locating.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really peculiar. Exactly. It's really peculiar. Oh, I have to assume some of the shows that got booked were Al Diatli doing the hosting or one of the right, other people, colleagues. Involved, other colleagues. They weren't yeah. alone. He had friends and colleagues, and I mean, you could see the people coming out for the money once he passed. Lots of people felt ah. like they had an interest in this whole thing. so mm-hmm.
0: Ooh, uh, Come out of the woodwork.
1: They sure did. They sure did. Mm. Uh, they they came out of the woodwork exactly the way that Bigfoot doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, except for Patterson that one time.
1: Yeah, that, one, that one lucky time. <laughs> so uh. it was interesting, though, because, I mean, there's – a uh, the Patterson Gimlin film is one of the most debated, discussed, analyzed I would argue it's probably as analyzed as the uh, Zapruder film. You know, there's like people doing frame by frame analysis. Uh it's just they're absolutely, absolutely. Uh, fascinated by this stuff. And I've generally avoided on Monster Talk getting too deep in the PGF because it's such a divisive topic. It is.
0: Yeah. All people are yeah, really firmly planted in in a particular camp and uh yeah, it, it really uh, people get very passionate about their opinions on this.
1: Well, they do, and it, it's it's I think partly because it's such a an ink blot test um, for mm-hmm. what your viewpoints are. If if you are a very skeptical person, you see a guy in a suit. And if you're uh, inclined to believe, you're going to see a a, a monster and muscles moving under the fur that can't possibly Mm -hmm. be faked and all this other stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like I – most people don't even see the thing in its natural context. They usually see a zoomed in, cropped version of the footage. Yes, M.K. Davis, um, as uh, a, a really obsessive Bigfoot enthusiast, I, you know, I don't agree with him on much, but man, he's done some great work stabilizing the film. And, and mm-hmm. so there's a really, I should probably put it in the show notes. He, he um, did a stabilized animated GIF of it. And you could just really, it's it's completely stable and you can watch the creature I've walking across. Her. Yeah, it's, 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 it's mm. so, to me, it's very clearly a guy in a suit. Uh, but uh, that's okay. And Davis has done other work, too. He's done some stuff where he's, like, compared footage with other footage shot at the same location. And it, like, makes mm-hmm. it pretty clear that whatever the creature is, it's only about six feet tall. But, uh, again, Davis, definitely not a skeptic. I mean, he's the guy who gave us the uh, idea of the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot massacre, which is the idea that mm-hmm. some of that orangish-reddish coloring in those foot images are actually blood from when they killed all the Bigfoots. Oh, bless his heart. But the great work <laughs> on <of> stabilizing the... <laughs> The, the well, place. that's the thing.
0: Yeah, I guess what, what is evidence to, to him, what is proof to him is really uh, the opposite for us. So it's proof that that, that this was a, a man in a suit, as you put it, because yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you in that regard. And I think most of our listeners are, too.
1: Probably. Um, and I, I, I again, I don't mind discussing it and I don't mind working with people who do believe in it it just doesn't bother me Absolutely. at all it's like
0: oh uh, yeah yeah no, <laughs> no like, dog in this fight no bigfoot in I this don't fight.
1: I, I have a passion for the topic I love watching the yeah. old documentaries I love watching the Patterson Gimlin footage
0: oh uh, yeah, it's different know. perspectives
1: yeah I just you know it's fun when I was trying to do this it made me go back and look at a bunch of documentaries like um the the mysterious monsters is a sun classics movie and that's the first one that I'm aware of that shows the footage. Um, mm-hmm. Some people say that Monsters Mysteries or Myths, which is an older uh, TV documentary, showed the mm-hmm. footage. I went back and reviewed it. I didn't see any PGF footage. I think what's happened there, even in the Wikipedia article, is people have gotten confused because the footage in Monsters Mysteries and or Myths, is mm-hmm. almost the entire film exists inside the Mysterious Monsters. It basically takes all that stuff, all right. adds additional footage, and makes a full-length motion picture, whereas the first one okay. is a documentary hosted by Rod Serling that was on TV. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, well, there's a lot that's wrong on Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll hear more More about that that very soon. soon. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Um, 1972, uh, there was a documentary, another good one. It's got some really great stuff in it called Bigfoot Man or Beast. And that also has some of the PGF footage, but I don't think that's in the Wikipedia article. Should be, probably. Um,
0: Yeah, someone needs to update that.
1: They do. And it's probably difficult to make updates to that page because um, controversial topics sometimes get the pages locked down or it becomes really hard to make a change. So,
0: right. Yeah. Probably a lot of people just sitting there ready to pounce on anything that appears.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. They're so Very
0: invested in it.
1: It's a tough thing. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I like Wikipedia, but I, I think it always needs to be tended. It's like, it's like a. It is a chore. Yes. It's not It's not Good a and definitive. bad. Yep, absolutely. Yep. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a good start. But I'm really impressed with this work that you've done, and I think it's exciting that this is ongoing, and I think you're going to uncover a lot more, and we can revisit this topic, too.
1: Yeah, I, I plan to do a couple of things with it. Um, first of all, Steve Bassett's doing a follow-up to Cryptid Cinema and asked if I'd be willing to write up my findings. And so I'm cool. going to make one version of it for that. And then I think there's a really interesting story about how the BBC documentary came to be and Mm -hmm. how important it was for, uh, I guess, the popularization of Bigfoot because it kept Patterson – Solvent, you know. I mean, it, it it was important, and and I think there's yeah. an article. I'm gonna how the British invented Bigfoot is maybe something along those lines. I might do for the British skeptics.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, the PGF is the gift that keeps on giving to us. Too.
1: <laughs> it's the animated Patterson, gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> even <laughs>
0: yeah, posthumously. But his, his wife and yeah, it, it really is. It's uh, just such a heavily debated topic. But I think that um, you know we really learn a lot about the topic and ourselves uh, in delving into this.
1: We do. And I think if you look at – I think it's frame 352 is like that famous scene of the Bigfoot looking back at the camera. And Mm -hmm. that that has has literally become an icon. It's quite quite literally – I see it everywhere. I that is Bigfoot. It is Bigfoot. It is it is used in advertising. I've got you know numerous variations of it. If I've got a Bigfoot bottle opener, air freshers, they all show basically the same thing: Bigfoot mm-hmm. stepping out. You know, uh, right hand behind, left hand out, looking back. Yeah, you know.
0: action movements. Yeah,
1: the only it's funny like all those details are there, but they often in these recreations they usually remove. The pendulous breasts, uh, and I, I'll be honest, I even as a, a young teenage boy, I never really realized it was a female until I got into the internet. And everybody's like, well, the pendulous breasts. I'm like, really?
0: What? Well, I never really <laughs> noticed that myself until I went to Willow Creek and was just chatting with one of the staff members there. And she pointed that out and said, oh, you know that uh, the Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot's a, a woman, a fe- well, woman, female, female, mm-hmm. Hey. And uh I did not know that until that point.
1: Well it gets funnier because so, they, they call um they call that creature Patty. Yeah. Oh yeah. But Roger Patterson's wife is also named Patty. And That's Greg Long, who wrote strange. the Bigfoot book debunking a lot of this stuff, his wife's name mm-hmm. Patty.
0: <laughs> oh, the plot thickens.
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: Oh. Well, thank you so much for all the, the research that you're doing. And, yeah, I think this is just going to be something you're going to have to keep coming back to. Uh, and, and there'll be more information, more angles that will just keep cropping up. So we'll have to revisit this.
1: Yeah, I think so. and uh, But I, I am excited because, uh, like I say, big breakthrough here. Lots and lots of dates now. And uh, I've got a much clearer picture of what was going on. Uh, I don't know if this is like, like – Hugely insightful, but I really think it's neat to be able to say it went to a lot of places. It was in a lot of states. There were people out there who saw this thing, you know. And what what must they have thought? West Coast, yeah, on the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. There were there were people Mm -hmm. in their communities who were being told Bigfoot stories and got to go see a documentary and hear a guy who said he saw mm-hmm. it and get to see the footage that he claims is the footage and it it's yep. not the stabilized version it's super jumpy it looks like a, an action movie you know like a first person type thing it's like the it's, blair witch like the blair witch it's super shaky so <laughs> yeah. uh, i appreciate uh, david stabilizing it but i think if you stabilize mm-hmm. the blair witch it wouldn't be as scary and if you stabilize bigfoot it's not as that mysterious was the point. yeah exactly
0: I, bingo i yeah. think yeah, you're on to something there yeah (laughs) Uh, well so so fascinating
1: well we'll be back real soon with more of Mm -hmm. what we've been working on
0: (laughs) we will there's always something going on it's exciting (laughs) monster talk
1: you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith
0: and i'm karen Stolzner.
1: you've been listening to a recap of my current Patterson-Gimlin footage research project. Uh, When any of the formal outcomes of this work are published, I will share the links right here on Monster Talk. I'm hoping that this leads to a more detailed and nuanced understanding of the cultural footprint of this legendary beast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, We now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms monster talks theme music is by peach stealing monkeys your time is so precious thank you for spending some of it with us on our humble show
0: Monster House presentation.